0: And what a day that will be, when we all bow bow down. Now I'm going to sing it. <laughs> and we all bow. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we we'll get Renee back up here. <laughs> mm. We're in Romans chapter one today. Last week we looked at verse 17 and the. Uh, the righteousness of God which is revealed And today we look at verse 18 And the wrath of God which is revealed And verse 18 is, uh, uh, goes with verse 16, 17 And 18 is kind of a, uh, a unit But on its own verse 18 is a capstone of a new section as well Which we'll, we'll get to next week uh, the, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 18-32 but for today we want to see how it connects back with the last couple of verses so let's start at verse 16 of Romans 1 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed From faith to faith as it is written The just shall live by faith For the wrath of God is revealed From heaven against all ungodliness And unrighteousness of men Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness So the topic for today is one that is not A very popular one The wrath of God might try bringing that one up to your coworkers or friends. Let's talk about the wrath of God today. I don't think so. It's not a, a very popular topic, but it's one that we really need to consider. And notice that there's, there are parallel statements here between verse 17 and 18. If you look at the beginning of verse 17 it says, "For in it in the gospel." the righteousness of God is revealed verse 18 says for the wrath of God is revealed so those two things are, are to be seen as in, in some way parallel to each other they're actually like um, both speak of the justice of God from a different angle or you might think it in the, the parv- proverbial sense of a coin you know how you, how you have two sides of a coin and you could say that one side is the righteousness of God and the other side is the wrath of God and the coin is the justice of God and in the justice of God we see both his righteousness and his wrath um, and if, if you toss it up, what's going to happen? it's going to fall on the floor No, it's going to land on one side or the other it's not going to fall in between There's not like a middle ground in between the righteousness and wrath of God. It's one or the other, and a person is either under the wrath of God or under the righteousness of God, with no middle ground. And by the way, I don't want to confer to you that this is in some way a toss-up. You know, it's just a coin toss of which is going to be for you, because it's that's not what I mean to. Communicate just the fact that it is two sides of the same thing. Well, um, last week we looked at the righteousness of God, that one side of the justice, and now we're looking at the wrath of God in verse 18. The revelation of God's wrath, and we see several key things about that in this verse. It is God's settled attitude towards sin. God's determined action towards sin and God's clear view of sin first of all God's settled attitude towards sin is this the wrath of God this is how God views sin he is wrathful about it he's not impartial but the settled attitude of God towards sin is wrath some of the sin that we do is against other people, peers, human beings but all sin is against God God is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity he is the holy, holy, holy one he is the only pure, righteous one he is Lord of heaven and earth king of kings and lord of lords the great king Our God. And all sin is against Him. Some sin is against others, but all sin is against God. Even in our daily lives, we recognize that there's a difference in uh, who we sin against and the possible ramifications of that. You could imagine for a moment that, um, let's say you are. you sin against a peer, someone on your level. Say, let's say a, uh, if you're a student, another student. If you are, if you work somewhere, a, a coworker, and you come up to that person and you tell them, "You're an idiot." Well, that's gonna, that's not going to be a good thing, is it? That's, that's a bad thing. That's sin. But now let's step it up a notch, and and let's say that not just against a. Uh, a fellow student or coworker, but against your, your teacher or your boss you come to them and say you're an idiot oops that's a little bit worse isn't it higher um, ramifications what if uh, we were in the olden days when being a king meant more than being a figurehead a monarch was, had absolute rule and someone to come in before a king like King Xerxes you had to come in on all fours basically head down. You, down you could only look up if he gave you permission you could only speak if he gave you permission but what if you came before a king like that and you lifted up your head and said you're an idiot you and your head would part company we, we get the idea that even though all sin is against somebody the higher the level that person is that we sin against the, the worse the ramifications right we kind of get that idea well now think about this all sin is against someone but I mean some sin is against other people but all sin is against God the high and lofty one he the supreme God, almighty, all sin is against him and committed before his eyes. Four things briefly I want to talk about in relation to God's wrath towards sin, his settled attitude of wrath. That is his holy, hate, true, timed. So, first of all, holy... Isaiah chapter 6. Greg Sweet read a little while ago a portion from the book of Revelation where the song we're going to read about here was still echoing in John's view of the future of the glory of of God in heaven the same scene as we read back that Isaiah saw Isaiah 6-1 in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above it stood seraphim each one had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew now a seraphim a seraph uh, the Hebrew word seraph just means burner these were a classification of angels called burners. They were so bright in their reflected glory because they were near the throne of God. They were so bright that they were called burners. And the I am ending is just a plural ending, seraphim. The burners were before the throne. These angels, these burners had six wings. Four of them were used to shield their, their upper and lower bodies From the glory, because even those holy angels would be consumed by the holiness, by the glory of God's holiness in his presence. They called out one to another in unceasing praise to God Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, or the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, as Isaiah sees this, his vision is open for a moment to to see this scene in heaven. The house where he was, he says, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. It's like being in an earthquake and the, the doorpost just shaking. And the house was filled with smoke And Isaiah the prophet who had for many years been a prophet of God up to this point a very respected leader and a godly man by all accounts that prophet when he saw that glimpse of God's glory and the angels crying out holy, holy, holy said woe is me for I am undone I'm nothing I'm done in woe is me why because I am a man of unclean lips and Isaiah professes his sin of having a profane mouth unclean lips because I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar and he touched it to my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your, your sin is purged. All sin is against this same holy, holy, holy God. Whenever you sin, you do so in the midst of the scene Isaiah just described. You don't do it in some dark corner where no one sees. You don't do it on the internet late at night when no one knows. You don't do it when you think no one but maybe the person you sin against knows. When you sin, it is always in This scene, it is always right before the throne of God. The one who knows everything. And the only one to whom we have to answer in the end. Every sin is in his presence. And every sin is against his holiness. It is bringing into that holy scene the filth of our sin. So God's settled attitude towards sin is wrath because of His holiness. Those of you who are studying through Habakkuk, Habakkuk, uh, probably have recently come across Habakkuk 1.13 you are of pure eyes than to behold evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor this is the plaint of Habakkuk to God surely you can't look on sin with any favor and that is true now go to Psalm 5 so we've seen first that sin is an affront to the holiness of God it is done in his presence And this is one that may be even more obscure to you, and that is hate. Psalm 5, starting at verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Notice in verse 5. This is not good news. You hate all workers of iniquity. That's why God's wrath is poured out against sin. He hates all workers of iniquity we are used to thinking more euphemistically that god hates sin but loves the sinner that isn't true god hates the sinner his wrath abides on the sinner the sinner is called the enemy of god in romans 5 God is not just looking down kindly saying well I know you didn't mean that I still love you even though you sin against me holy God he hates all workers of iniquity he is the only one who has the right to do so I don't have the right to do that I don't have the right to hate anyone even someone who sins against me but God does but even though we don't have the right just so maybe we can identify a little bit with what it is like to sin against God and his hate for the person who is wicked imagine a scenario like this your child is out walking on the sidewalk and an enemy of yours someone who hates you Runs your child down with their car on purpose. Just creams, smashes him, kills him on the sidewalk. And they did it on purpose. Now would you say, I'm going to love the person who's driving the car, but I'm going to hate the car. That's really, the problem was the car. That's the sin. No, it would be Your anger would be directed against the person, not the vehicle, right? Who committed this. When we sin, it is our sin that Jesus to the cross. The Father says, I hate that. God's wrath is holy, hate. Third is true, Romans 2, 2. We're only going to spend a brief moment on these next couple because I'll get to them in, in a short while. The wrath of God against sin is True. Romans 2.2 2 says this. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. You know, people can accuse you wrongly and probably often have. In the same way you can, you might falsely accuse someone else, think that they've done something against you when they really haven't and so forth. But God knows absolutely Perfectly, every sin. And so his judgment is always true. He's not going to falsely accuse you about anything, but he's also not going to miss anything. It is according to truth. And fourth, it is timed. Romans 2 5. But in accordance with your Hardness and impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God for some of the sins that we do we we pay consequences now I mean if you if you steal something from someone and you get caught you pay consequences of that and so forth there are certain natural consequences but God is storing up wrath against the day of wrath it's like you are adding to your account daily until the day of wrath it's a timed thing God does not judge completely now but he will settle all accounts in the end and uh, more on that as we get to Romans 2 so God's settled attitude towards sin is the the wrath of God secondly God's determined action towards sin is seen in in these words uh, is revealed for the wrath of God is revealed Uh, several things to note about this first of all it's the same word even the same verb tense as in verse 17 for in it the righteousness of God is is revealed as we talked about that last week the is revealed means to be something that which is m- both made known and given that is thinking about the righteousness of God he doesn't just make it known to us demonstrate his righteousness he, he actually confers on us righteousness he imputes he, he gives his beloved his righteousness at a high cost in that same way the wrath which is being revealed is not only something uh, that is made known but it implies action that God is going to pour out wrath so you're either under the waterfall of, of redemption and righteousness of God or of wrath of God It's it's being poured out. It's a present tense meaning currently. uh, The current status of anyone who is whose sins are not forgiven is under wrath. But it also has a future application as so we noticed in, in verse 17, the, the word uh, is revealed, is the word uh, apocalypso, from which we get apocalypse, and remember that means the final uncovering, and uh, there will be, will be a day when in the righteousness of God his righteous will shine forth as the light and it will be evident those who are his but also there's a final uncovering unveiling of the judgment of God on judgment day the wrath of God will finally in its fullest sense be poured out part of the apocalypse and third, God's clear view of sin from heaven for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven have you ever been in a maze maybe a cornfield maze or something like that where you try to work your way through if you're at ground level and walking through a maze um it's it can be difficult and confusing which way to go. But if you were up above the maze, if you were hovering above it in a helicopter, let's say, you could see, well, you go this way through that maze, and it'd be obvious, right? Well, that's God's view of sin, his sin from above. He the wrath of God is revealed from heaven he has a clear view of all that is happening and we get very disoriented in life but God never gets confused about it he sees from heaven all that is happening also being from heaven from his position of of holiness untainted by, by sin a perfect view in every way now secondly um, the recipients of God's wrath basically those who are unrighteous towards God and unrighteous toward truth the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men there is no distinction against all. There's uh, no favoritism with God, no distinction of persons. It's not as if um, he's not going to judge the Jews because they were his favored people, or he's not going to judge the Gentiles because, well, they didn't have the advantages of knowing and the previous history. Or he's not going to judge people of a certain class or country or economic status it's, it's against all no distinction of persons whether that person has been regular to church or not it is the wrath of God abides on them if they are still in their sin against all it also indicates that there is no acceptable level of sin and we may think of sin in terms of uh, That was a really bad sin or worse sin or death worthy sin, you know. But for God to, as James says, anyone who transgresses the law in one point, one, is guilty of the whole thing. So none of this, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. Well, you might not be but you are still a sinner there's no distinction there's also no middle ground uh, remember the coin there's, you, you're one side or the other there's no middle ground in there he talks about it in two ways one is to describe it as ungodliness and the other as unrighteousness. Ungodliness here um, refers to the lack of reverence for God. It's a lack of devotion to God and especially a lack of worship of the one true God. The word ungodliness doesn't mean simply without God which is kind of what it sounds like, ungodly sounds like it might be without God, doesn't mean just without God. It goes a step further and indicates someone who does not rightfully worship God. You see, it's not enough for a person to say, yeah, I I believe there's a God. If that person does not also worship God, then that is ungodly that is an ungodly person to just acknowledge the existence of God is not enough you are God considers it ungodly unless you rightfully worship in spirit and in truth God you know the word unrighteousness focuses on the result of ungodliness that it leads to a life marked with, with sin or a lack of righteousness. Being unrighteous is being sinful. There's a kind of progression of thought between these two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness. That, that is that the lack of godly worship leads to the lack of godly living. And if you think about uh, here's some examples Like the Ten Commandments Begin with Man's view And worship toward God The first four commandments Have to do with, with uh, Honoring God alone Him only The last six of the commandments Have to do with our relationship With other people So God and people Rightly honoring God So that you're not ungodly And rightly treating people So that you're not unrighteous the following passage in Romans 1 as we'll see next week uh, starting at verse 19 and following the first set of verses have to do with man's view of God and his rejection of God and the last set of verses have to do with how man treats fellow man so the ungodliness again leads to unrighteousness of action. the idea here is that because man's relation with God is wrong his relation with fellow man is wrong people treat people the way they do because they treat God the way they do now Jesus had long ago given an answer to this when he was asked about what's the greatest commandment love God and love others Be godly, worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength Love Him and love others When a person does not do that, love God and love others They are ungodly and unrighteous And the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, furthermore, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So they are unrighteous toward truth. Man in his unrighteousness seeks to, to hold down or suppress the truth. It's, it's a futile effort. It's like uh, if you were trying to hold down a hot air balloon as it's being blown up and you know eventually... Uh, it's going to overwhelm you and so the truth is like that you can't hold it down it, it will prevail it does win but nonetheless man seeks to deny the truth and suppress the truth in any way possible why does he do that? well John 3 verse 19 and 20 I think gives the answer it says this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be revealed so by denying ignoring holding down suppressing truth man is really trying to not look at the truth of who God is and how sinful the man or woman theirself, might be sin is always an assault on truth from the garden of Eden onward the focus of the enemy's attack is against truth did God really say does God really mean what he says in here it's been a, an attack on truth. Now next Sunday we'll look at what that attack on truth looks like specifically. And what arena. But for now. In the broadest and the most significant way. It is an attack against God himself. Because his word is called truth. John seventeen seventeen Sanctify them by your truth your word is truth and those who seek to suppress hold down truth it's what this word says that they want to deny or hold down but also the son of God is called the truth Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and so if Satan can lead us astray from the truth, he will also lead us astray from the way and the life. And so you see why it's such a battleground. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Um... We're going to partake of communion in a few moments, but I'd like the worship team to come back up for a song of preparation before we do. And keep your Bibles open. I, ho- I heard those zippers. Because <laughs> there are a couple verses in Romans I, I want to look at as we, as we partake of communion that I hope will be meaningful in that context as we prepare for this bread and cup which represent the body and the blood of Christ we think of the cross of Christ and that is where the wrath of God was fully poured out God's settled attitude towards sin wrath of God and he has poured out wrath on his son on the cross so that he wouldn't have to pour it out on you for everyone who comes to the cross and says Jesus I believe in you thank you for taking my rightful place you you died for my sin you were stricken and smitten and afflicted for my sin for everyone who says that god says he took your wrath and we when we partake of communion we remember that let's stand as we sing stricken smitten and afflicted